really like being at home? Anyone? Yes, yes, yes. Some of you, two hands, two thumbs up. Um, we were just talking uh, before our worship gathering um, started, and we were talking about being at home and how um, some of us just really enjoy um, just being there. Um, we we're talking about the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know what you guys, what your plans are for the Super Bowl. We always try to have a party at our place and invite as many people to come uh, as we can get there. And we feel like you know God has been good, given us a fairly decent sized home to live in, and we we want as we want it filled up with people as often as we can um, within reason, but. But then there are, you know, there there is there are those times though that um, where you know you may get an invitation like that. Hey, come and come and hang out. Come to this, come to this party. Come to this missional community. Uh, come to this Super Bowl thing. And and you would rather just say, well, no, thank you. I like my home. I, I like being at home. It's it's all good, right? It's all good. Um, and I know the feeling. Uh, I really do. What I want to talk about today, though, is something um, that may challenge us a little bit. So I'm going to start right up front by saying whatever, whatever God has to say to us today is probably going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm not going to apologize for that because God knows what He's doing and He has a word for us. And... Um, and I want to show you, actually, I want to show you some ways in which if you feel a little bit uncomfortable when God speaks to you about something, tells you to do something, you're not alone. I don't know of a single person in Scripture who didn't feel a little bit unsettled by an encounter with God and having Him say, go do this. It's not easy. Um, but it's the way of blessing. It's the way that God um, has chosen to, to do His work in the world. So, if you would, turn with me to Matthew 28. Uh, the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 28. We're going to be looking at these last few verses of Matthew's Gospel together in our time that we have this morning. So follow along on the screen or in your own Bibles as I read aloud. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, this is the word of the Lord. I want us to, um, to look at this, uh, 
to look at this passage, this very familiar passage for many of us. If you've been in church uh, for any period of time in your life, uh, you will have heard this passage before. We usually call it the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning, sending, in other words, His disciples, His followers, to go out on mission uh, with, uh, with Him in the world. Because He says, I am going to, I am with you always. So, they're with Jesus in the world. Um, but this very familiar passage oftentimes gets, um, gets sort of put into that category of, of missionary call or missionary commission. Um, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. So that means uh, th this is for those people who are called to go to another country and, and share the gospel there or, or start churches, make disciples out there in the world. Because obviously it says of all nations, so, um, so we go to the nations. So it's a very common passage to encourage and motivate um, and, and give purpose to uh, missionary efforts overseas. But what I, want us, what I want to draw your attention to, first of all, is that this Great Commission, this word from Jesus, is for every disciple. It's for every follower of Jesus. It's not just for a few super disciples. It's not just for a few people who have really, really got it together and those are the ones who get called into ministry or called to plant churches or called to pastor or called to be a missionary. It's for every disciple. It's for every follower of Jesus. It starts out this way. Now the 11 disciples. Why 11? And I thought, didn't Jesus have 12 disciples? What's the deal? Why is it 11 at this point? You remember what happened in the story leading up to this point? Remember what we saw happening in John 13 through 17? Uh, Jesus said, I, truly, truly, I, t I say to you, one of you will betray me. Remember the one that he identified? He said, whoever I, the one that I give this morsel of bread to once I have dipped it, that is the person. So he did, dipped the morsel, and he gave it to who? He gave it to Judas. Judas Iscariot, who then left, he departed. And that's the last we see of Judas as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. He betrayed him. Judas betrayed him. In fact, Judas had a pretty gruesome end to his life. After he realized what he had done, that he had betrayed the Son of God to his death, he said, I should never have done this. And he felt such remorse that he went out and he killed himself. Well, there were 12 disciples, now there are only 11. There probably is a, a whole other sermon in that, but we'll keep going. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. Went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Um, I'll say, let me say a few words about this. What do we know about Galilee? If you've, if, you've, if you've read the gospel stories before, you know that the disciples all came from Galilee. They, that was their home state, if you put it that way. Or 
the county that they live in. That's probably a better way to put it. So it'd be like, it'd be like um, all of us who live here in the Yakima Valley, Moxie, Yakima, this whole area. And we went on some journeys for three years and we traveled all over the place with this teacher and we toured, we toured the country, right? And then after it was all over, we went, well, let's go home. So let's go back home. So we all, we all came, come back to Yakima and we all reconnect with our families again and our friends and go to the old familiar spots. And we, we even go, hey, do you think I, you know, before I left, I was doing this job. Do you think I could get that job back? Ah, oh, yeah, sure, come on. Yeah, come on, you, you, come on back in. We'll have a job for you. Keep doing what you were doing before. And, and everything kind of goes back to normal, the way it was, right? That's probably what the disciples thought was going to happen. We saw that we actually see in John chapter uh, 20, 21, chapter 21, the disciples were back in Galilee fishing again. They hadn't been fishing for three years, but they're back there in their old jobs, back there doing their old thing again. They went to Galilee, but then Jesus, it says Jesus had a, a purpose for them, for a place for them to meet. There was a mountain, a, a particular mountain that is not identified here. We don't have the name of the mountain, um, but it's probably, uh, if for those of for those people who are reading the Gospel of Matthew, they were probably thinking, huh, the mountain uh, to which Jesus had directed them, I wonder if that was the same mountain that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus went up onto a mountainside and called his disciples to him and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, etc. The Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount probably very well could have been that same mountain that he had taught them from before that they were actually going back to meet him again. Maybe. Doesn't say, but it could have been. It was somewhere there in Galilee where he had been ministering before and a mountain that they knew, that they were familiar with. It's really easy for us to, uh, to, to want to go to the places that we're comfortable, want to go to back to our hometown. We've been out working, we've been doing our thing. We go get out on the road for a week or so. You want to go home, and that's a good thing. You want to be back in that, those comfortable environs. You want to be back in Galilee, back in your, back in your county, back in your city, back in your home. But Jesus had a, another purpose for them, another plan for them. Well, I told you that the first thing I wanted to show you was that that this that this disciple-making command is for every believer. So far, we've only seen we've only been talking about the eleven. So what if what what is it about uh, this command that's for everybody? Well, in verse seventeen says this, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <clears throat> now, who is they? And who is some? <clears throat> when they saw him, they worshipped him. Well, I imagine that was the disciples. Um, 
but some doubted. Uh, usually when that, that phrase appears in the, in the gospel stories, um, but some, there's special words for it in the original languages, but it's almost always translated, but some. It means that there's either a, a, a different group of people that were with them, or maybe a, a subset or a subcategory. So maybe you could imagine um, the 11 disciples, they come, they all worship him, but there was one who doubted. Maybe it was Thomas. Thomas is described as a one who, in the Gospel of John as one who doubted. He wanted proof. He wanted to see things concretely. He, well, I'm not sure about Jesus rose from the dead. Well, until I see him for myself, I'm not going to believe it. I'm doubting Thomas, is what we call him. Maybe it was Thomas who doubted. Or maybe, maybe it was a, a lot of them. Or maybe what was happening here was that there were more than just the 11 disciples. There were many people who followed Jesus. And we know from just going back a few verses in chapter 28 that there were these women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and the other gospel accounts describe one or two other women who were probably with them all, and they went to the tomb that early, early Sunday morning because they, they, they hadn't been able to um, lay down the proper um, spices and, and perfumes uh, on the body because Jesus was buried just before the Sabbath began and so they'd been observing the Sabbath and it was like now this is our first opportunity really to get there and as soon as it's light we'll get there, we'll, we'll get this, the tomb opened up and we'll put these uh, spices there uh, the perfumes etc well an angel appeared to these women and told them that, okay, you've been looking for Jesus, but he's not here, he's risen. And then, he, then they told him, go and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Who is he, who is he talking to? He's talking to the women. He's saying, go, tell the disciples, okay, where, where, you're, go, where you're all going to meet Jesus. Not just the eleven, not just a select group, but all of the disciples, including the women, probably including many others, maybe some of their family, maybe some of their friends, maybe some other disciples who'd been following Jesus and listening to Him. They've been on the outside. They weren't in that inner circle, but they've been following Him. They've been looking to Him. They've been worshiping Him. The point there in verse 17, it opens it wide open to every disciple who's ever followed Jesus and who's worshipped Him but at the same time doubted. Have you ever come and you've worshipped God and you've said you've sung these songs <laughs> you've sung a song like you know where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay when you move I'll move and you're worshipping but then you're doubting at the same time kind of worship mixed with doubt like I'm not sure how this is all going to work out I, I want to glorify your name but there are some things going on in my life. I'm not sure how this is going to go. I don't know if I can be faithful in following you. I, I still don't have a lot of, uh, of answers to some of my questions. I've been that way. In fact, I think we'll always be that way. How many of us could expect to have all of our questions answered now in this life about an infinite God? Think about that with your finite mind. Your mind, in other words, finite. Your mind is limited. 
it can only understand up to a certain point. You can't understand everything. You can't know everything. But yet God is all-knowing. All he is an infinite God. There will, be, there will be plenty of times where we will come and worship Him, but we will be mixed with doubts. And that's okay. But listen to what Jesus said next. This is very significant. Jesus came then and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Think about, I think about that um, phrase leading into this great commission when he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The, the thing that we often focus in on, and, and, and I did it with the title of the message, <laughs> Go. We focus in on that command right there. But we fail to see that what is behind that command is all authority. Jesus has all authority. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, says, I have received all authority. And it's and the uh, if if the the New Testament writers use the kinds of things that we use when we write when we write and print things uh, they may have under, they might have underlined that phrase has been given to me or they might have put that in italics or maybe in bold or maybe all three at the same time I don't know um, but but that that is what is going on in that in that statement by Jesus Jesus is emphasizing putting this emphatic emphasis on that phrase, has been given to me. We don't see it very well in our English translations, but I assure you it's there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a big deal. What has been given? Didn't Jesus have authority? Isn't He the Son of God? Isn't He... Um, the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't He a deity, fully God, fully man? Yes. What does this mean, has been given to me? It's a, it's a passive verb, isn't it? Has been given. It wasn't taken. Jesus didn't say, I have taken all authority in heaven and on earth. No, He says, it was given to me. I am the, I am the one who's received the, the authority so who's, who gave him that authority? God the Father. So this is a good example of the divine passive. The divine passive in the New Testament where, where the, un, the, the, the understanding of the person who's speaking it and those who are hearing it, they're understanding, oh, so you received that. You didn't make that happen. You didn't take it. It was given to you. And the only obvious explanation as to who gave it is God, God the Father. God the Son is, is making the statement that when I left my home, when, in other words, think of it this way, when Jesus left his county, when Jesus left his home or his city, 
the great city, heaven, the throne room, when he left his home, he became a man. And he left all of that glory behind him. He left all of that authority behind him. He left all of that power behind him with God. And he went to earth. And he became like us. And he put on flesh. So the God so God became a man. And he gave up some of his authority. He gave up some of his authority which he had with God from the beginning. And now here he is. Now here he is saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, he has it back. In the resurrection, in his, or his death and his resurrection, he comes back to life with all of the authority that he had from the very beginning. And there he is, granting now, or with the authority to then grant to his disciples the same kind of commission that he himself received. I want us to think for a second about that, about the fact that when God gives a command of any kind, of any, of any, of any type, that the, His full authority and power is behind it. Power, I mentioned power because that word authority um, also could be translated as power. It's this, it's this ability that God has, or that here in this case, that Jesus has. Ability to rule, ability to command, ability to then empower that on to other people. And he says, go therefore. And he says it to all of his disciples. Do you think, um, have you ever thought that you were... Um, unwilling or maybe unable or untrained for a certain task that maybe you weren't good enough for a certain um, certain job or some certain responsibility thought about have you ever thought about who these disciples were fishermen um, a tax collector is probably one of the most hated people um, in all of his society. Uh, these guys were were common people. They didn't have anything special about them. They didn't have anything, you know, noble about them. They were just ordinary people. Ordinary people from ordinary places. In fact, places where, in some cases, like, we don't even know where that little city is. So you came from where? Yet, Jesus called them. Jesus trained them and equipped them. And now here he is giving them a command that is backed by his authority and his power. You heard, you heard about Abraham when Chris read that passage. 
uh, a little bit ago. And you heard how Abraham was called by God to go into a land that he didn't know, he wasn't familiar with. He had he didn't know where this place was. He didn't know exactly what he was going to be doing, except for that uh, God had told him that he was going to make him into a great nation. He was going to bless him, and that all of the peoples or all the families of the earth were going to be blessed through him. And so he did it. He obeyed. And how old was he at the time? 75 years old. When he obeyed God and he left his homeland and he went to a different place. Um, we, we think about Abraham as a, as a great hero, as a, as a man of faith, and he certainly was. But Abraham was an ordinary guy. He had problems. We saw that, we, we talked about that with our youth um, this last uh, Wednesday night. Wasn't it this last Wednesday night we talked about Abraham? He had problems. I mean, he, 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 he doubted. You know, he worshipped God, but he doubted. And he thought, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. You're going to make me into a great nation, but I don't have any children. And me and my wife, we are old, peop we're old people now. We're past childbearing age. Um, how's this going to happen? How are, we gonna have how are you going to fulfill your promises through us? Well, God did. He did miracles. But Abraham didn't believe. Abraham tried it his own way. Abraham thought, well, uh, maybe we'll get a surrogate. I know. Actually, it was Sarah's idea. Here, why don't you, why don't you sleep with my servant girl and have a child through her? And then that's, maybe that's how God wants to work out his plans for our lives. We'll kind of do it our way. Abraham was messed up. He was a sinner just like us. Some people think about Moses. Think about how Moses was a great man. And he did great things. When God appeared to him at a burning bush, a bush that was on fire, but didn't get consumed by the flames, God spoke to Moses, said, Here, Moses, I have a, I have a job for you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to have you go to this place um, of which um, you know of, and, you've, and I'm going to give you this job to do. And, and what was the first thing that Moses said? He didn't say, where are my robes? Where's my staff? Let's go do this. Let's make it happen. He said, yeah, uh, God, I think you got the wrong person. <laughs> I don't think I can do this. I don't speak very well. I have a little stutter or I have a little lisp. I, find somebody else. I, could, I can think of a, several people who are really qualified for this job. And why don't you call them and have them go do this? That was Moses. Made plenty of mistakes. Was plenty weak. But yet, eventually, God's power and his authority compelled him. And he went and was used by God. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the commission right there. And it starts with this, this simple word for us, in English anyway, go. And it's the same word 
Incidentally, there at the start of verse 19, go, it's the same word that's used in verse 16 when it says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So, yeah, slightly different uh, uh, tense of the verb, but it's the exact same word that's used there. We, we go to the store, and after we've gone to the store, we say, we went to the store, right? Same word. Same word. Same word in our English Bibles. Same word in the original translations. In the in original languages, go and went. Interesting contrast there that the disciples were happy to go to their homeland. Happy to go to what was familiar to them. Happy to go to those places but I bet you when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, they probably hesitated. And they probably thought, uh, how is that going to work out? The world is very big and wide. There are a lot of nations out there. How is this going to take place? Hmm. Go therefore, he said. How about us? Where might God be calling us to go? I want to suggest to you that God, although God may be saying to you, I want you to go to that other part of the country or I want you to go out of this country somewhere else. He may be saying that to you. But I want to, I want to tell you right now that before that ever happens, before that journey ever begins, or if it ever does, God has already given you this command. God has already said, go. Due to the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, God has already said, go. And I want to show you that by uh, going back to what we looked at a few days ago or a few weeks within the last few weeks. Um, at John chapter 17. Remember John 17 when Jesus is praying. He's praying for himself that he would glorify the Father and that the Father would glorify him in his death and his resurrection. He also prayed for his disciples who were there with him at that time. And he said about them in verse 18, As you sent me, he's talking to God, praying to God, as you, God, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you have sent me, I have sent them. Then he prays for us, and he prays that, they, that we, were, we will all be one. One with the disciples. One in our, in our worship of God. One in our faith and our, our belief and our trust in Jesus. One in purpose and one in mission. That just as Jesus was sent into the world, sent from, from God's presence, sent into the world, into a foreign place, into a place that was uncomfortable, a place that was going to demand much of him, a place that ultimately he would be re rejected and betrayed and put to death. That's where Jesus was sent into the world. And he said, I have sent them. 
my disciples, my followers, my faithful followers of Jesus. I have sent them into the world. In chapter 20, we see that happen again when Jesus appears to his disciples in the flesh after his resurrection. He says, peace be with you. <laughs> the very next thing he says to them after his appearance to them Besides that command to, or that, that exhortation of peace, he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This word sent. <laughs> this word sent. In the Latin translations, it was, this, it was the word missio. M-I-S-S-I-O. Missio where we get our word mission from. Or missionary. Or missions. Or all the different versions of it. Jesus sent His followers into the world. And we follow them. We are one with them. One in purpose. One in mission. And if you're wondering if well, maybe that go there for and make disciples was just for the disciples who were there. Maybe it was just for that first generation. That sending language uh, is, is just for them. For us, we're just here to enjoy salvation, enjoy our lives, be good witnesses, um, be good neighbors, be good people, and just, uh, just enjoy what God has given us. Enjoy the blessing that we've received. Well, let me show you two things. First of all, in this command in Matthew 19 and 20, Jesus says to them that they, that as part of or one of the ways that they make disciples is not only going to them, but also baptizing them and also teaching them to observe or to keep, or in other words, to obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus sent them, Jesus commanded them, Jesus gave them His purposes for them, and He said, you now are to teach others to do the same. You are to teach the next generation. You are to tell them the same thing, that just as the Father has sent, uh, has sent Jesus, just as Jesus sent us, we are sending you. It's a sending, it's a sending uh, uh, cycle. It's a, it's a chain from starting with Jesus and His own disciples. It's a chain that, that has passed through history all the way down to us who are right here. That Jesus is calling to us. He's saying, go. Go to, well, like I said, maybe it's, maybe it's go, go to China or, or go to Africa. I don't know. But maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Go next door. Go to your coworker. Go to your family member. Go to that birthday party. I went to a birthday party with Maddie on Saturday. It seems like a birthday party weekend. Everyone's having birthday. Maddie had a birthday party Friday. Friend, her friends had one Saturday. And this afternoon, I'm driving up to Ellensburg. My sister's birthday is today. I don't know how old she is. 30-something. Still. But anyway, I won't dime her out. But 
I went to a birthday party. I don't like going to these birthday parties. And, uh, but Jesus said go. <laughs> so maybe that means go to a birthday party where your, where your kid's going to be there and there are going to be other adults there and, and maybe you have an opportunity to witness to them. Maybe you have an opportunity to share some, an, an encouragement to them. Um, so I went to a birthday party and I'll tell you right now, I, I didn't have an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ yesterday, but I did have an opportunity to um, be friendly. I had had an opportunity to go and to build on a relationship with a family that we've known now for almost two years since we moved to this area. Go. Where is God telling you to go? Where, where, is, uh, where is the light dim? Where is there darkness around you? Where is it that people are far from God? Maybe that's where he wants to send you. Maybe that's where he's telling you to go. I don't know. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I, I, I'm, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he meant by this, Jesus meant by this, is you teach them to make disciples too. You teach them everything I've commanded you, including this command to make disciples, to go. Just as I have been sent by the Father, I'm sending you. And we need to teach that to one another. And we need to teach that to the next generation. And we need to teach that to new believers. That that's what, what it means to follow Jesus. To be sent. To go. Well, I said that maybe what we think, uh, we tend to, tend to, to settle into. Because it's, it's nature, it's, it's totally uh, normal for us to settle into this kind of view of, well, I am just trying to enjoy the blessings of God that He's given me, and I'm trying to, trying to be good with them, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be a, uh, follow His, his uh, moral commands as best I can to be a good person and to live uh, like we, we saw in Romans 12, um, to live as living sacrifices somehow, so that our lives will be worshipful to God. Well, I don't think God's designs for us and God's plans and purposes for us ever include us um, creating storehouses for the blessings that He's given us, either physically or metaphorically. The grace that He's given to us and He's extended to us, the blessing of the gospel, is not meant for us to just store up in our heart and hold there and, and, just, and just revel in. What did, what did Jesus, or God, the Father, say to Abram when He called him? Recall, do you recall the words of His, his commission? Go, <laughs> he said, go, incidentally, the same word that Jesus used in the Great Commission, go, and then he said this, I'll make you a great nation, and I will what? I will bless you and make your name great. We love that. We want that. Don't we, don't we, don't we pursue God? Don't we pursue Christ because we want that blessing? It's not wrong. 
It's not wrong to chase after Christ. It's not wrong to pursue our faith in Him because we know that a blessing is come, comes from it. That's what He said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, or in the King James way of saying it, blessed, blessed. We like to be blessed. It's good. But why did, G, why did God say He was going to bless Abram? So that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I just heard uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, um, speak in reference to this very passage this week. Where he said, God never blesses anyone uh, without the expectation that they turn that in a, into a blessing to others. And I challenge you to go through God's Word and find examples of, of people who received blessings from God and then did not use that to bless other people. At least, uh, there, there you might find some that are negative examples where they didn't do that. You may find an example of the, 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 the parable of the talents where the master gives a servant uh, uh, one talent, which was a, 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 a certain amount of money, and he goes, well, oh, my, servants, my, my master's blessed me with this. Um, I'll just put this into a hole in the ground. Or we may say, well, I'll just, keep, I'll just store that under my mattress and doesn't do anything with it. And when the master says, what have you done with that? He says, well, here it is. I saved it. I, you blessed me with it, but I didn't bless anybody else with it. It certainly didn't multiply. I didn't invest it. And things went really bad for that servant in that, in that particular story. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. God saves us so that we can share that message with others. Now, we may be afraid. We may feel like, well, I fear that if I tell other people about Jesus, that it'll be, it just seems too impersonal. Uh, that they'll go, why, why are you giving me this spiel? Uh, this is weird. You know, uh, you're telling me about Jesus, you're telling me about uh, how I can be saved, you're giving me these Bible verses, and it just seems really awkward. Well, we fear that. We don't want to be like that, right? Or sometimes what will come off as, as we'll say, well, what you need to do is just follow Jesus. What you need to do is you need Jesus in your life. You need to confess your sin. You need to stop sinning. You need to... And then we sound like we're just preaching at him. And no, none of us want to be a pre preacher, you know. That would be crazy. Um, sometimes we fear that when we talk to people about things that we'll sound intolerant. We'll say, well... You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that their way of figuring things out, that their way of living their lives is wrong. They don't like to hear that, that uh, other paths to religious you know, uh, pursuits are wrong. Or uh, if, if it's a different way besides Jesus, then... And we tell them that Jesus is the only way. We will be intolerant. We'll be intolerant of them and intolerant of their sins and they're intolerant of their feelings. Mostly, I think a lot of us feel afraid to tell, about, tell people about Jesus because uh, we fear that 
we will be uninformed. I, I don't know what to say. Like, how do I explain things? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Then I'll look foolish. I'll look stupid. Or maybe I'll just, maybe I'll mess everything up and, and they'll never, they'll get the wrong information and then they'll never be saved because I messed up. We fear those things. I, those are all legitimate fears. But they're all overcome by the fact that God has given us authority through Jesus. Given us power through Jesus. What was that power? Well, in John chapter 20, when Jesus told His disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then He said to them, right after that, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, the book of Acts has that scene coming up a little, comes a little, a little bit later. But John wants to incorporate that, I think, in, this, in the telling of the story there so that we can see the connection between being sent by Jesus to, sh to bear witness about Him and the fact that we're empowered by Him. That He doesn't send us out in weakness. He sends us out with His full authority and His power behind it. So that we don't have to fear having conversations with people that we know. We don't, we can't, we don't have to fear talking to our, our spouses or talking to our, our family members or talking to our neighbors or co-workers about these things that are deeply important to us. These things that we value, our relationship with Christ, the truth that God is who He said He is and that He has a purpose and a plan for each of us. We don't have to fear that. And we have that power but we also have His presence. And behold, I am with you always. The, 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 the word there, a literal way of saying it, is I am with you all the days. I like that phrase. All the days. Every day of your life, Jesus is with you. Every day. No matter what you're going through. I mean, that should be comforting in itself, but certainly should be comforting when we consider the task or the, the, the calling that we have to go and make disciples. God is with us. Jesus is with us. God is with us. Matthew's Gospel started with, with this in chapter 1. An angel appeared to a Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because this thing that happened to her, this pregnancy that you're worried about, that you're going, oh snap, this, this girl that I was engaged to is pregnant. And it wasn't me. And God, this angel, reassured Joseph, Joseph, what's happened to her is from the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. So don't be afraid. Go ahead and marry her because she's going to give birth to a son. And you're going to call his name. And in that, that instance, he said, you're going to call him Emmanuel. That's what he's going to be called. Emmanuel? Emmanuel? I mean, what, what, what is it? I thought his name was supposed to be Jesus. Well, his name was Jesus. But they said they're going to call him Emmanuel. And you know why they're going to call him that? Because in Hebrew, that means... God with us. 
God with us. That's how Matthew started. <laughs> it started out with that, that, that promise that Jesus was going to be born and His name would be God with us. And then here He is at the end saying, I'm leaving you now on this earth, but by my Spirit, I am with you. Always. That is comforting to me. We live, we live in a world of fears. There are a lot of things to be afraid of. Some of them, some of the fears are irrational. You know, some of us have irrational fears, phobias, that you know, we have to battle and fight and, and try, to, try to work through. And by God's grace, hope, hopefully we can work through those. But there are other fears that, that seem pretty legitimate. The fear of rejection, the fear of betrayal, uh, the fear of failing. I mean, those are all legitimate fears too. But they will paralyze us. They will keep us from, what God, from, from experiencing God's blessing. They will keep us from experiencing what He has for us. They will keep other people around us from knowing the saving love of Jesus if we give in to those fears. I'm, all, I'm afraid all the time. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I am so anxious in my heart about, the, what, about what other people think about me. About, about if I'm going to uh, measure up or not. And that I think, believe me, has kept me from doing what God has called me to do many times in my life. And even now, I need to be reminded that Jesus battled those fears for me. That Jesus died on the cross and took those fears and those anxieties on the cross with Him. And He buried them and left them in the tomb. And He rose to new life. And He's given me new life. And He's given me a new life with a new motivation, a new excitement, a new, a new grace for other people that I can share the good news of Jesus, that I can make disciples without fear, that I can go to the people around me and share this message. And whatever may come, I know that Jesus is with me. I know that His purposes are being accomplished through me. If all others reject me, I have Jesus. I remain with Jesus, and He is everything to me. We sing about Jesus, we talk about Him all the time, His love for us, and that should motivate us to share that same love with the people around us. Maybe, maybe, it starts just by simply praying for them. In your bulletin today, were two cards. They, they look like this. I don't know if you got one or not. A bulletin. If not, make sure you get one. Would you pull these two cards out with me? Just take these two cards out. Because maybe what, maybe one thing that you can do today is just to spend a moment in quiet reflection or prayer um, and just think through the people in your life. 
the people who are in your life, the people who are around you, and, and think for a moment, ask them, or ask yourself, are these people far from God or not? We call this a transformation card because we believe that by praying for them, by praying for these individuals, that God will transform their lives. Would you be willing today to take these cards and write down three names? Three names, three individuals who you know who are far from God. Maybe, maybe they have made some profession of faith at some point in their lives. But maybe they're not walking with Him. Maybe they are not in a church on a regular basis. Um, maybe their lives appear to be uh, living in rebellion against God and His ways. So those would be names you, would, you could write down on there. And I, I, the reason why you have two of them is because I'd like to encourage you to write to, to duplicate those cards. Write three names on one card and the same three names on the other card and sign them both. Take one of them and put it in your wallet or your purse or whatever so that it's in a place where you, are, you can see it on a regular basis. And, and remember to pray for these individuals daily. Um, look for, find a way to, to be a blessing to them every week. And then find a way to verbally share the good news of Jesus with them. The other card, fill it out, and I want to challenge you to put it in our offering box. And the reason why I want to, want to encourage you to do that is because we as a church want to pray for you. And I'll tell you what, what I plan to do with those cards. I plan to put them together in a list, and I plan to pray about them on a regular basis. And I'm going to invite um, the men in my discipleship group and the men who are, are leaders in this church to pray for these names. Pray for these people by name every time we gather together. That may be one way today to do that. I want to encourage you to do that today. Think about it. Maybe while we're singing here in a moment um, and, and finishing our, our time of worship, um, maybe what you want to do is just be, be in prayer. Who, who can I write down on that? list those three names that we can pray for think about the people who are in your family who you're close to or or or, or people who live in your neighborhood or maybe co-workers you know be, the best thing to do is 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 write down three names of people that you see on a regular basis that you see every week don't write down a name of somebody who you see every year or so <laughs> Pray for them. I mean, certainly keep praying for them. But, but, but people that you see on a regular basis. Maybe there's something that, um, maybe there's a fear that you need to repent of or confess or, or ask for prayer about. Um, use the connection card. Write down a prayer. And that, that's a, another thing that I take and I pray and I... If, if you give me permission, I'll share that with, with uh, my other praying friends too in the church and we will lift that up. Um, 
What's God been speaking to you about this morning? What does He want you to do? How does He want you to respond to this message? Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I ask that You will indeed work in our lives. Um, Pray that You will certainly bless us. We ask for Your blessing. We ask that You will do a work in our hearts. I pray that You will bless us in all ways, in our family, in our in our, um, the, the time we spend with each other and um, in, in salvation and in, in much grace. But I pray that, God, you will work in us in such a way, um, cause us to, to see your blessing as not just for us, but something to be shared and to, passed and to be passed on to others. You have blessed us to be a blessing each and every one of us. God, I pray that you will overcome our fears by your your authority and your power and your presence in our lives. I pray, God, that you will send us wherever you desire us to be, that we will go. Thank you for your love for us, your amazing love, that you, you, who are the king of the universe, have loved us and have called us and have asked us to participate in sharing that message and sharing your love with the world around us. Father, we thank you for that. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.